0: Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that will be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word, appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people But um, as we were talking in, in regards to, like, your story, and um, I was telling you about what it is that I do and um, putting out, like, sort of, like, inspirational stories of people who I think are, um, who have experienced amazing stuff and triumphed through that, because I think that's the most important part, is the, the journey and where you are currently. Yeah. That was one of the reasons that inspired me to get you on here. And um, it was in relation to, like, a, a severe accident that you had, I mean, how many years ago was it? 31
1: years
0: ago now. 31 years ago okay we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get into that and obviously get your perspective of it and your your overcoming process. but can you tell me about what do you remember much of the day prior to the incident?
1: Yeah um so I was age ten at the time and um just gone to visit my great granddad in India, so my parents and my dad hadn't seen his granddad for twenty three years so since he left India he'd never seen him and my parents wanted to, uh, to give me and my brother, who was six years younger than me, um, just an experience of life. Like what we've got here in London, mm. it's not like that in countries like wherever we might come from, you know, like village yeah. life is different. So he, well, both my parents wanted to give us this sort of, like a, a reality check of life and what we should be grateful for. So just before I was heading to high school, he thought to give this. So yeah, prior to my incident happening, you know, I said goodbye to my great-granddad and said we'll see you soon. Um, we're now going to go and tour south of India. So where I come from in India, um, like my family is the west coast of India. Okay. So it's close uh, borders to Pakistan. So if in, geographically, yeah. that's where it is. Um. So, yeah, so off we went to Mumbai, stayed with some family friends, and my family booked a flight to Bangalore.
0: Was that your first time in um, India, by the way? Yes, that was the first time. That's the
1: first time I'd actually been abroad. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, so we did a lot of holidays in the UK as a family, Mm -hmm. but that was the first time abroad. So, yeah, and then...
0: Your first or second time on a plane? when Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and then me and my brother wanted to go Goa because mm. it's like, Goa, you know, that's what we thought India was, beaches. <laughs> and, cool you know, yeah, those. exactly. Yeah. And any brochure or anything you see on TV, India was just Goa. So mm. we wanted to go there, but my parents were like, we'll go there after we do our tour. So it's like that last retreat sort of thing. Mm. Uh, so the, they booked it to Bangalore. We had no idea what Bangalore was or what was famous about it what was so good about it um yeah and then and that's where the incident happened
0: yeah in regards to like um the the incident itself in terms of the process is is there any memory of of the process or is that something that sort of like the the trauma of the situation had made you completely forget like do do you remember anything of the process at all
1: yeah so um yeah I remember like me and my brother reluctantly getting on the plane and um I remember fighting with him arguing with him because he sat by the window and I was in the middle seat my dad was on the aisle and my mom was on the next one and I'm fighting with him because it's like well it's not fair you always get to sit by the window and it's my time it's my turn um because it's like we saw the blue skies and the green fields. It's not what we see here in the UK. Obviously, we don't ever see blue skies. <laughs> Once a year, we might see it. <laughs> so just that excitement um, and so clear and just beautiful and just bright. And yes, yeah, so I just remember the argument really. And then the incident happened, which as I will reveal now, you know, I was involved in a plane crash. And then the next sort of voice I hear is my grandmother's voice, who I've left back in the UK. Um, so I'm like, hang on, why is she here? So in my head, she's on the plane with me and has come to surprise us. Mm. But in reality, what she was saying was, Tulsi, you've been involved in a plane crash. Your mum, dad and gumlesh, that's my brother, are no more. And she's crying now for grandma, especially in that time and age, quite stern and kept the emotions to themselves and very sort of conservative. So she was crying. And I'm like, why would she be crying? Which has come to surprise us. Mm. So intertwined with me arguing with my brother, thinking my grand's on the plane to her, then telling me my family are no more and that I look different. There was and just she too much to
0: India, or how long was you yeah? After?
1: So she'd actually flown out. So the accident actually happened on the fourteenth of February, nineteen ninety. Mm. Um, and by the time they would have got the news here in the UK, and by the time they would have got their ticket and flown out, it was either on the night of the fourteenth or the fifteenth that she's arrived. So. Yeah. Time-wise, I have no concept, but, you know, that's what I remember soon after the accident. So yeah. um, I hear a young medic's voice as well. Um, again, Dorsey, I'm going to be taking care of you. Mm. Uh, there's been a big incident, but that voice could have been an air steward for all I know, like it was just, it wasn't familiar. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's, that's the only recollection I really have. Yeah.
0: So, so, at this point, your grandmother is telling you that something's, um, something's happened, and you you look different. What was you thinking at, at this point? And you didn't and did you know the extent of the damage it had caused to you?
1: No, I I had no concept because when she said I'd been involved in a plane crash, and that my family were no more, it didn't make sense because in my head I'm still fighting with my brother, mm. and then thinking she's come on a flight to surprise us, yeah. so. And my eyes are bandaged. I'm in and out of sedation. So, yeah.
0: So what was it like the first time you kind of realised the extent of the damage? And and how was that experience like?
1: So that came about, so I was flown back to the UK, um, treated in Biliwiki in Essex. And I was then meet, met with my aunts and uncles and cousins. They were in the waiting room and because being in a burns unit, not, not everyone was allowed to be in there. Mm. And they're telling me the same information that my grand did. So for me, I thought they've come on the plane now to surprise me. So again, it's mm. like either it's avoidance or it's just denial. Mm. Uh it didn't sink in. But me being me, I still felt like me, very boisterous and ambitious and mm. loud and humorous. And when my eyes were bandaged and I was in and out of surgery for skin grafts and you know it's because Mm. of smoke inhalation and everything so it's probably about four weeks after my accident where they removed the bandages and I requested as well as they said would you like to see yourself in the mirror and I was like I was so excited because I'm like of course I want to see myself like Mm. um because it still hasn't registered what's gone on I suppose um so yeah and then I think they were quite concerned thinking hang on why is she so Excited, I don't think she's really comprehended mm, what's, what's actually happened. Um, so yeah, they removed the bandage, checked from my eyesight, everything was fine. And I was so determined to see myself, but the person looking back at me in the mirror wasn't actually me. Mm. It felt like somebody drew that face on, it's like some sort of sick joke, like mm. whoa, who had time to draw that face on? But obviously, the person in the mirror who was blinking their eyes and, um, you know, moving their mouth to talk, realised that was me. Looked down at my left hand, which had like metal rods sticking out the fingers to straighten them, red raw scars. So obviously I knew something's happened, but it still, I still didn't think it was the plane crash that had happened, if that makes sense. It just felt that wasn't real.
0: So it's, so it's almost like a surreal feeling, like an out of body experience, not knowing, not feeling like it is you. But when you do move, it, that is you. That's yeah, the
1: that's yeah. that it was me. And then, either naively or optimistically, I actually thought, it's okay, T, don't worry. Um, these will be gone in a year mm. and it's all right. And I think that's me. You know, I'm always kind of, oh, it's okay. We'll deal with it later, or it's okay. This is nothing. This is minor, you know. Yeah. And I suppose that's got me through a lot of situations in life.
0: Yeah. They do say there's something incredible about, like, you know, the optimistic um, spirit of certain human beings because. There's those that, that, that tends to want to project the negative side of things. And then they kind of you kind of drown yourself and put yourself into a rut. Because whatever you process through your mind tends to have an effect on your body and how you feel and how you react mm. to stuff and how you react to illnesses and injuries. But if you're an optimistic person in general, then you have a different approach, which kind of plays a part in the healing process of it Also, I'm assuming that that's what played a part in your healing process in terms of like your own personal optimistic spirit that you have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because even looking back now from an adult perspective, there must have been something within me that was able to just get up and go and do the day-to-day things, even though the mind was feeding negativity at points, because obviously that's where my low self-esteem started, yeah. when when I've left hospital and suddenly the world isn't treating me the way the nurses and the doctors were. Because... In hospital, they see patients with burns and whatever. They see the human spirit, they don't see the scars. So where I was protected in that sort of aspect where no one judged me, no one stared at me, to now being discharged from hospital, the journey to and from hospital, journey to and from school, wherever I was going, that's where the bullying started. You know, the name calling, people staring, all of that. That's where my low self-esteem started. But the optimism, the inner spirit was always there. But the mind took over. Yeah. And started to feed the negativity. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I resonate with what you're saying, because you either had the optimism or you don't. Yeah. It's that
0: like yeah,
1: inner in spirit.
0: Case, oh, yeah. yeah. As a child, what, what was that experience like? Because this happened to you when you were fairly young. You were around 10, 11, wasn't you?
1: Yeah, 10, yeah.
0: Yeah, around 10. so... Like how long until you went back into school? How long
1: after? Um, uh, so I was discharged in June, uh, nineteen ninety, and I went back to school sort of just the last part of June, and then you have got the three weeks of July before summer holidays start. Oh, wow, you know? that, that was pretty so,
0: soon, then.
1: Yeah yeah, 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 and um, I had day visit to school just to see my friends, mm. um, which okay. at the time was difficult. Yeah. To be fair, they they were amazing. Mm. If you think of a child, age 10, 11, having never seen anything like this, mm. to then one of your friends looking so different, how do you as a child treat that person? You know, you just do the best mm. you possibly can. Maybe it might be fear that you don't want to upset that person, also uh, adjusting to your friend looking different. Mm. How do we make her inclusive if she's upset? What do we do? I couldn't see that at the time. For me, I just felt the rejection because it's like, it's me. Why are you not getting this? Come on, let's play football like we used to, let's do it. But it's not, things have changed, but they were fantastic. They're still my friends now. Um, They've seen the transition to where I was, to where I am now. And I think even for them, they knew that i was going to go far mm. i didn't know it and they knew the potential i had even though i didn't so when they yeah. see where i am now you can see that they're like wow we just knew you were going to yeah, do so surprised. well
0: yeah, yeah. um th- th- there's one question i'd like to ask so <laughs> like for instance i was raised to treat everybody the same regardless of who you are, like what you believe in, whatever. So I tend to have a blanket slate in terms of how I treat everyone. I always go in treating everyone extremely well. Like I, I go under the assumption that everyone is a good person yeah. until I find out that some people are not good. So yeah. as a child, for instance, when I when I came across someone who maybe potentially looked different to me, I would always, even though the the child mind of me would notice that there's something different, I would then have to um, I would then have to consciously like make sure that I'm treating them the same way that I'm treating everyone within the circle. Mm. You see what I mean? So for, for instance, you as a child, like how did you, did you want people to acknowledge the fact that something had happened or did you just want them to shut off to it and just like, you know, treat you as everyone else and just completely ignore the fact, or did you like the idea of people asking you questions and, and, and you know, wondering what happened <clears throat> and continuously query what happened? Like how, how was your initial like feeling towards that?
1: Yeah, such an interesting <clears throat> interesting question, sorry. Yeah, um, there were people who did ask me, but sometimes there's an asking and a tone, the mm. tone of how someone asks you. So a lot of it was very invasive. Oh, so what happened to you? And not like, oh, so I noticed you've got scars. Um, do you mind telling me what happened to you? Yeah. There's ways of doing it as an adult. As a child, it might be different, and that's fine. There were parts where I wanted to hide away and just not talk about it ever. And then there were parts where I didn't mind answering. But a lot of the times I felt I was in a corner and forced to answer the question, even though I didn't want to. And more so exactly what you'd said, you'd grown up with a blank canvas, so to speak. You, There was no sort of preconceived ideas or judgment and you treated people, like you said, good until they showed something else i too was like that so just a simple incident that happened that really shaped me i was about seven or eight i went to work with my mom and her boss's daughter had a prosthetic arm now prosthetic arm 30 almost 32 years ago was different to how it looks now so it was very obvious so i remember staring at it but the way my mum caught me staring at it, she really pulled me aside and go, don't you ever make her feel bad? Definitely. To which I didn't think that's what I was doing. I was just inquisitive, like, "Oh, she's got What's a that? different... Why yeah. she got a different colour arm, so to speak? It was as simple as that. But when she pulled me aside and she goes, how do you think that girl must have felt when you stared at her? I'm like, but I didn't realise I was. So she goes, if, if that bothered you, you should have asked me. I said, but mum, I didn't even... It didn't bother me. I was just, it caught my eye. Yeah. And from that day, I've learned the non-judgmental aspect. So I wanted people to treat me as me without the judgment. But as we know, the moment you step out of your house, judgment starts, right? Yes. Yeah, very different Skin world. color, height, yeah. weight, yeah. visible difference, non-vis, you know, you, there's a whole spectrum of judgment yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, that's how it
0: was. I, I think to me, that's why the education at home is so, like, vital. And, and I think genuine conversations between parents and children are essential for these things because it's hard to prepare a child for, like, that sort of reaction. So if I if I wasn't raised in that type of environment and I just stepped out into the world, then it's like, yo, like, you know, I would react as a child, which yeah. which, which can be extremely offensive and it can be detrimental to someone's, like, um, well-being, but mm. you know. I think the reason why potentially, like, I, I, I was exposed to such things is that I grew up very, like, um, in a very mixed cultured environment. Like, my best friends from Pakistan, my, my other friends from Eritrea, uh, like, my whole circle, there's five of us. And every single person is from a different country, different mm. color, different religion. So, it's like, I, I kind of had that early stage training to understand and be sensitive to others. But some people just don't. And now we live yeah. in a world So many mixes so many variations so it's it's a great it's a great thing for parents to do to have those conversations with their children in the early stage because other kids could have come into your environment and been extremely like you know bad to you which would have affected you growing up um did you what was the experience like growing up as an adult so like the transitioning from like you know being in the playground in school with the scars and having those type of reactions to now going into like college, university and adult life, like what, what was the treatment process like throughout those stages?
1: Um, kind of similar, to be fair. Um, again, like going into college, obviously now it's a new stage of life. I went to Wolfham Forest College. So again, oh, very mixed, it. mixed college, as we know. Um, great, I had amazing, amazing peers but they couldn't understand me. So there'll be moments like, come on tea, come out for a drink. They'll all be flirting with each other. I didn't have that because no one saw me attractive or never showed it. So obviously I, I had my own insecurities going on. So I felt left out. So I would avoid going out with them because I didn't have a partner or I didn't have a boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. So I just kind of felt like I, I was different. Um, that's just my preconceived ideas, it wasn't what they put on me, it's just what happened. And then um, you know, I went into the hotel and tourism industry um because I wanted to travel. Um so being in an accident never put me off going on a plane. You know, oh, okay. I just it was one of those things. I was quite lucky. I grew up with the fact that it's one of those things, it's not every day a plane crashes and yeah. so that was my mindset from a young age. So anyway I went to do this hotel and tourism course I got to work in Guernsey, um, so I was away from home, and then when I came back back to London, applied for jobs here, and I applied for a job in a hotel in London, and the letter that came back was, Dear Miss Wegjani, unfortunately, um, you didn't get the position. Your face doesn't fit the company. Now, wow. now, when I first read that, I just took it as an active rejection,
0: Yeah.
1: as in, you didn't get the job, but... When I read it again, your face doesn't fit the company. I was like, "Ah, okay, right. It's this Mm. that they can't have on the front of house. They can't have their customers being scared. Or they didn't want, you can read between the lines of that, you know. It's
0: it's quite obvious, the discrimination. Mm -hmm. Did Did you push back against that?
1: To be fair, no, I avoided it because it's like I didn't want to bring no more attention to myself than was already um and any kind of jobs I got were very much behind the scenes if I got them like you know like a room cleaner and stuff no issue with that happy to start from the you know bottom but yeah. that's all I kept getting and yet I've got qualifications so um so yes yeah, so that happened and then then going down Oxford Street you know like we would do it for a Saturday job you know like we would have done
0: and did our CVs
1: yeah handing out cvs so I did the same thing handing out went with my cousin they'll take my cv look at it put it in the bin take my cousin's cv and go okay we'll get back to you again very obvious and where i've got experience because i've worked in the hotel industry so i know how to do that my cousin's just come out of school so you can see where the discrimination was sort of taking place and then it got to a point like I just gave up. To be fair, I just was like, "Sod this! I don't want to work. I'm just no, I don't. This is not for me." Yeah. So for a year, I just took. I, I was just at home doing nothing, and this obviously where the depression was building up. Um, mm-hmm. With with any kind of you know anxiety, depression, any kind of mental health type illness, it's not something that just suddenly happens. Mm-hmm. There's obviously little processes that go along the way until it, one day it's just magnified right so this is what was happening all the sort of bits were going on and I was feeling really low about myself even more um the negative narrative just literally took over yeah
0: um, you think there was one like um there was one incident that broke the camel's back for instance? do you think there was one particular incident that definitely Yeah you into it? what what's that if you don't mind so talking? the
1: biggest thing that happened was So at that time, I went to sign on um, to Job Seeker's Allowance at the time and waiting by the bus stop to go to the job centre. Don't feel great as it is. The weight has piled on, so I don't feel amazing. Going to the job centre is the last thing anyone on the planet really wants to do because they make you feel even more worse than you do feel already. Right. And then they put it upon you, like, why haven't you got a job? you know that kind of thing so ready feeling low at the bus stop there's a set of lights the bus stops there the lights were red car pulls up there's four guys in the car wound down the window and they shout you're so effing ugly you should have died so to me i looked around thinking oh wonder who they're talking to at no point did i think it was me and if it did, if I did think it was me, I definitely was in denial. But I looked around; there was no one at the bus stop. It was just me, and I'm like, "Wow!" So already feeling low. Then, is this what really society actually thinks? Probably, because that's what I have seen so far. It out, outweighed all the nice people, if that makes sense. These experiences outweighed so all the nice people that I did meet seems really insignificant to the people that the negative people that I met so there was there's me at the bus stop the lights turn green they've gone off they're laughing bus is coming and I'm like this is it what's the point this is what it's going to be like why do I want to keep putting up with more so the choice between standing in front of that moving bus to going to the job center was very much a split second decision And all I thought about was I don't want to let the job centre down because I don't want them to start knocking on my door, say pay the money back because you can be bothered to come to the job centre. It sounds weird at the time, but obviously I know fundamentally I didn't want to let myself down, of course, but it was a very fine decision between standing in front of that bus and finishing it all to getting on that bus and going to the job centre.
0: And we thank God that you ended up getting on the bus and going on the job centre instead. Right. In front of you. Yeah, right. That that's this that, that's, that's the sad part about like you know um, like mistreating people. It, it tends to be like a, as you said like the the negative always tends to overweigh the positive, even if the positive is like a thousand you know to one. Mm-hmm. And you know sometimes like a, a group of like pricks who or those idiots that said whatever they said. It will outweigh all the other love that you have. And that's the that's Absolutely. the subtlety of like, you know, a mental breakdown, the, the difference between. Because we we tend to have friends and we're like, well, we're all amazing with you. Like, you know, we're not expecting you to have issues, but they might have one dark person um, that's that's treating them in a particular way that's causing them to have issues. Almost like online bullying nowadays. It's like, you know, you might have like thousands of great people, but then you might have one or two people being racist, being sexist, being, you know, whatever, judgmental. And those small groups of people can drag you down significantly. Because recently there's been a lot of talk online in regards to like, you know. Um, like footballers being racially abused and Mm. stuff like that these are people that are adorned by millions of people but nonetheless you have to understand the significance of that little abuse that they get from a a corner of like you know delinquents like it's 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 ridiculous and it, it has a major effect um but in terms of like you know like your your progress now that you've done and overcoming like um mental health issues and also like your self-confidence can you tell me a bit about that process and what helped you through
1: uh yeah it's obviously or is, or we know it so stuff that
0: you're still dealing with and how are you dealing with it because obviously nothing is conclusive
1: yeah no um it's such a fine line and it's not an overnight process and that's one thing we need to talk about is it's not like okay get over it yeah that word, that sent that phrase, it's awful. Get over it. Oh, come on. Why are you moaning back? No, it's because it's something very deep within us. Yeah. And I have, I'm on the other side and you know, I'm very grateful. I'm so fortunate. I actually celebrate 31 years of my anniversary on Sunday, Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. And when I say celebrated, I actually celebrate the day. It's not a day for me of mourning because as as we grow up culturally traditionally culturally however we have to see our anniversary dates as a negative or a sad thing it never feels sad for me it never felt sad for me it was put upon me to feel sad but I couldn't understand it so I thought I had to mourn I had to be morbid and Oh okay well it's my anniversary I better be upset but even though I wasn't because inside I was just me so I took I've took control back I've taken control back of how I celebrate these moments or how I choose to see the day so the transition between the negative narrative to the positive narrative came about not that long ago which sounds surprising because people like just presumed I was always confident Because I was. I did go out. I had a smile on. I was the life and soul of the party. But internally, I wasn't. Internally, I was numb. I weren't that pretty girl I saw in the bar. I wasn't that girl that the guys looked at twice. I I wasn't that girl. So although I was the life and soul of the party, because after a few drinks, tea is amazing. She's fun. She's boisterous. She's loud and up for a laugh. But come home and the hangover wears off and the makeup comes off. It was torture. Mm. It was consistent conversation of how rubbish I am, how useless I am, how ugly I am, all of those. Then I came into contact with the Katie Piper Foundation back in 2012. Um, And suddenly, not because it was spoken words, but I'm in a room with people with burns adult with burns no words are spoken about our actual accident scars or whatever i suddenly felt understood i just felt ah somebody just gets me Mm. and from that time forward i used to get about 60 to 70 ugly episodes a year when i mean ugly episodes it's don't leave my room Mm. don't look at me these are
0: internal battles
1: Internal battles, completely internal. Come on, T, come out. Oh no, I can't. I am not feeling great today. Oh T, come to this event. No, no, I can't. I'm my tummy's upset. A thousand and ten excuses to never leave the house. After I meet the peers from the foundation, I had probably two ugly episodes a year, and they were very minute. And then 2013, I met my Reiki master. So I was showing signs of confidence sort of bit by bit, but there were still parts of me that still didn't feel good. And yeah. I wasn't pretty and all of the other thing. But 2013, when I met my Reiki master and I laughingly joked about him saying, my solar plexus chakra, which is our emotion center. I said, it's, it's left my body, has never come back. So he's just thinking I'm being silly and um whatever and then he scanned my energy and got to the solar plexus and he went oh my god you weren't joking he goes where's your confidence mm. i said i don't have any and he was like what because You where you walked into the room you were like full of life and energy oh, yeah. Yeah. but yet internally and obviously since then things have been changing my confidence has grown i'm now in my own skin I own all of it I've sat here with no makeup on I don't care whereas two weeks ago it would have been important yeah like just to put something on thinking well I'm on I'm on a public platform so confidence is always changing it's not like this one pinnacle moment Mm. um but I'm just owning more of who I am I I don't want to be anyone else and I think that's important
0: yeah that's 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 vital I mean you there was a there was a Beautiful quote that I heard you say once, and um, I think it, were, it was along the line, like, um, it, it's okay to be you, and once you accept who you are, that's that's beauty in itself, and that kind of, like, you know, signifies what you just described, as in, like, you know, you, you accept who you are now, and, you know, you, you're, you're cool with yourself, as long as you accept who you are, you're fine with yourself the rest is whatever it is, you know what I mean? You're able to knock off the negative and absorb the positive and, and control your own narrative. And um, that that's Absolutely. a beautiful thing and it's a very powerful thing in itself because it's like you're in control of what is that affects you and you're not allowing like the external to play a part in like how you feel. So that's that's great. And that's, that's a wonderful way of like, I think, living and accepting of what is that happens to us.
1: Yeah, like for me, I always say now, even most talks, Beauty, for me, I own my own version of beautiful. I don't own your version or my neighbor's version, my own version. And that's all I need to be content with, you know. So I don't now need to look at a magazine and go, wow, she's beautiful. Oh, she's not. It's irrelevant to me,
0: yeah.
1: right? I own my version. So I wear what I like. I dress how I like. I'm flamboyant. I'm, you know, play down. However, I go with my own mood. And I don't care if it looks silly or not because it looks fine to me. Yeah. And that takes a long time because, again, we're always seeking some sort of external validation for something. Whereas for me, that external validation doesn't really mean anything to me. Um, Yes, it's nice to receive a compliment, absolutely, but it's not important anymore, you know? Yeah
0: it's not a be that's the world we're looking at where would you say you find your strength and motivation like is it is it in one particular action that you do on a daily um, is it something that you listen to something that you read what is it that you do to find your strength and motivation because i mean you you come across and you are an extremely strong um, individual so it's like where does that come from where do you work in that house from
1: i think it comes from i from a young age I've always seen about helping people I didn't know what helping people look like it's just something I wanted to do I was driven by it and it sounds really weird because in mindset te- techniques and coaching it's all about focusing on yourself so then you know self-driven yeah. and they never sat with me okay yes it's great to work on yourself I'm all for that because I've done the job but my drive has always been to help others so I know all the things that I've been through have been so that I can help others. I don't know what help others look like, don't get me wrong, I don't know which part of my story is gonna help them. But I wanna better myself so I can represent the better version of me to you, the viewers, the listeners, so they can then find something to better themselves my drive has always been to be a better person than I was yesterday. Yeah. But I know there's going to be a better person tomorrow. Uh, my faith, and I don't mean just on in a religious aspect at all, this inner faith has driven me here as well. Like like we talked to earlier on, there's a spirit within me that was determined way before the accident yeah. that just kept going don't know how because when somebody says how did you get through all of that without your parents yeah my answer is i don't know yeah. i don't because there wasn't one there wasn't one pinnacle thing but there was an inner strength within me which i truly believe we all have to be fair it's just we may not have a situation to tap into that or be guided how to tap into that yeah. but we do we do have it and i think that's what keeps me going and that's what helps me just drive myself forward but my main focus and motivation and i would say this really out loud is my niece um i've been so blessed to you know have her from such a young age like from day dot uh, her influencing me as i'm influencing her and she shows me what it's like to be a compassionate human being now we talk about sometimes teaching our children to just see everybody as everybody, not colour or, you know, height, whatever. She had that in her because it's really weird. Like, you know, sometimes we might describe, um, I've never been comfortable with this, but, you know, it's okay. Where, oh, what about your friend? You know, what's her name? The one with, you know, the brown skin. And she looked look at me as like, they have a name, like, why are you referring it she didn't see skin color and I thought maybe it's because my sister might have shown her that but we've not had these conversations with her Mm -hmm. it's it's something inbuilt within her so this accept, yeah and she's just accepted and then I thought I'd have to have that conversation about you know in the playground when there might be a child who's just left out um out of a game and they just sat there on their own and I'd I'd want you to have that conversation. Don't let anyone ever feel like that. Be inclusive. But she was doing that. Because when I went to the school to get her report, like with my sister, they said, she's so beautiful. She shows compassion in the playground. If there's somebody on their own, she'll approach them to come and play with them. Mm. So she was doing that. So she's my motivation to want to be a better human being. So when she's growing up, she doesn't have to do the healing, like the deconditioning process. That I've had to do. Yeah.
0: So That's all amazing. she will know
1: is love and acceptance. That's all she will know.
0: Yeah. There, there is a, I was watch, I was listening to a story yesterday, which kind of ties it ties into what you just said in regards to your niece. Which, it got me thinking as well. So there was there this um. There was this guy who was telling his story from, um. I think he escaped um, poverty in um, Cameroon and into America and so forth. And he was talking about when he was a child and he was in school he he went to he went to a fairly decent school but he came from extreme poverty to the mm. point where he'd worn the same clothes for the last 2 years and no one had noticed and he said in school, when people used to go out for lunch breaks, people were sharing their meals and stuff. And he would have to hide because he had nothing to share with them. And he would mm. come back and pretend as if he had eaten and he was fine. But these times he was starving, his stomach was growling, he was having stomach ulcers. And over the weekends, he would be working in mines and all sorts. But no one knew about this in his school. And it got me thinking. And I was like, I went to a school in not the greatest area economically. I mean, as you know, Newham being. And... I started playing around in my head right now thinking, were there kids like that in my school that were from extreme deprivation that I never noticed? You mm. see what I mean? Was there kids around who were possibly starving and like had nothing to eat? And, you know, because sometimes in my school, there'll be, as you know, you know they'll be scramble for burgers and people will be snatching yeah. chips off of each other and will think it's all a joke and a laughter. But were there kids that were actually snatching these chips because that was all they'll probably possibly get to eat? And it got me thinking mm. that, when when I have kids I want to raise them to be able to identify these things because if I'm in a good position I wonder and they're obviously going to be in a better position growing up I want them to be in a position and a level of understanding where they'll be able to notice these sort of things and be able to identify the kids that potentially might need that support or might need that help because you don't know what that little can do for someone in the long run so it really got me thinking and I was like wow I must have missed Obviously, it's not my fault, but, you know, it it gets you thinking that way. How many of these type of opportunities have I missed historically and not noticed? Because the guy who was telling his story, it was so amazing, like, in the sense that the the stuff he had to go through in order to hide what he was, like, experiencing was incredible. And nobody in his school ever noticed it. Mm. You know what I mean? But... As kids, it's very difficult for us to see these things, and yeah, of it's course. not our responsibility. But there is ways that you can potentially train and teach your kids, because some people might have it naturally, like your niece, but majority of us don't. We just want to yeah. get to the playground, kick our ball around, and then go, go about a business. And um, you, you're saying something incredible in regards to like helping people and motivating people and showing showing people, um, like you know, encouraging people through your own strengths and um, experiences. One thing I realized when I started doing the podcast was sometimes I didn't I don't I don't realize the impact that it has but then other times I'll receive a lengthy email with something significant from a story that's been told through my podcast and I'm like wow okay it's it's had an impact I might think you know some things are irrelevant some conversations are just conversations like everyone's having conversations but you know the more conversations we have the more progressive conversations we have the more motivational and encouraging conversations we have there are people that are taking notice there are people that are having an impact on like you telling your story you might think oh I'm just you know repeating and continuously telling my story but it's playing an important part in someone's life like, I'm going to take something out of this. Someone who listens to this might take something out of it. Yeah. Sometimes that is our works. That is, that is our good deeds without us necessarily noticing it or acknowledging it. But it is having an impact. And I know this because I, I start getting feedback, which keeps me going. Because sometimes when I can't be bothered to podcasts and stuff and then, like, you know, someone's bombarding me with, like, a 20-line email, I'm like, wow, people do listen. Yeah. And especially if you're talking of something um of encouragement or some level of like you know motivation so i mean keep doing what you're doing because it's it's amazing and i'm definitely under the assumption i'm definitely of the knowing that people are being encouraged by it people are being encouraged by your story because to me like you know survival and overcoming stories are the most powerful things we can use as tools as human beings to encourage ourselves because sometimes we might be in small positions of like you know trouble but then we realize that other people have gone through even more significant stuff and yeah. you know it's not good to compare but that comparison might encourage you to keep going Completely. And might, yeah and it might encourage you to um you know to stay upright and and, and to keep pushing for things that you want to strive for so it's, it's amazing yeah.
1: So it's like that saying, you know, like I was saying, you want to be a better person than yesterday. And that's where the comparison aspect would come in. It's not because you're comparing your life to someone else. Mm. You're realising that, how can I better my day today than it was yesterday? Mm. How do I become a better person? And it could be listening to a podcast, it could be reading something, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try that. And that's helping you already become a better person, right? Yeah. And I always say, like, at first, I thought, when I do all these stories, podcasts, filming, whatever I do, I kind of want to go back and help those people and see where they're going. But when I, when I really realized I'm only here to plant seeds, I'm not here to water them. I'll give them the water kit, no problem. And that water will have love in there. But how they choose to water that seed will be up to them, Right. I can't go back and go hey buddy have you watered it are you doing this mm-hmm. you know did you take the um, bad leaves out did you clean the roots I don't need to do that that's not my job my job here is to plant the seeds with love give your water kit which is basically a clean mindset then what you do is entirely up to you Absolutely. then the feedbacks will come in or you'll see them 10 years down the line doing what they should have been doing living their life the the best life and then you're like yeah that seed has grown into this beautiful plant into a beautiful tree and whatever and that again like I said I'm not religious or anything but I do believe in this there's a source we we will call it different names God you know whatever and I feel like I've come here to do God's work which is my sole purpose my sole purpose is to serve and To serve, I need to do it without any expectation or anything. Clean heart, clean intention, clean thoughts. And that's how I continue to do the work I do, right? Um, So for all of us going forward, our thing isn't to go and fix things. Our things are just to plant things. So us doing this podcast, we're planting something in this person's mind. They then choose whether they want to do something with it or not. We're not responsible, right? Um, and that's something that, you know, we need to kind of remember. We're not responsible for other people's actions.
0: Yeah. And yeah. We're only responsible to we're responsible for how we plant the seed. and how we. That's live. it. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautifully said. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question before I let you go because I know it's early morning. You probably got your day. Um, um, I could talk to you all
1: day actually this is fun
0: I know I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it I'm thoroughly like you know drawn into the the stories it's absolutely incredible and I'm already feel motivated from it you know it's good to get motivation early in the morning that's why I like the fact that you pick 11 o'clock actually (laughs) you know it it gets my day started but um you're into you're into pilates now aren't you are Mm -hmm. you how how did you get into that and how, how does how is that sort of like you know helping you
1: so Pilates started for about two, year, 2000, so I was at the height of my depression. So mm. at the height of my depression, this is just my, my thing, is my weight was about 99 kgs, give and take. Mm. Um, I was a size 24 that, in the UK, 24. And that's quite shocking because as a small person frame, mm. that didn't sit with me in a health way, in a mental way, in any way. Um, Went to the local gym in East Ham. Uh, I heard the word Pilates in magazines, but didn't know much about it. (laughs) it it?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and it was a fad and a trend. And all the stars were doing it, so of course. But anyway, in the gym, they actually did have a Pilates class. So I went along and I was so excited and The instructor, she was a supplement teacher. So she, she took, we were all sort of sitting and she told us to lift our legs off the ground, like just one at a time. And I thought I was, because I thought I was lifting my leg and it didn't even come off the ground. So she's like, Oh, lift your leg. And I said, I am. And she's like, Oh my gosh. So I think it hit her how weak I was in my body. Mm. So where my mind is strong, my body was so weak. And I then got embarrassed, of course, because I'm like, there was a guy much older than me and he was like, his legs were up and he yeah. was doing all sorts. And I'm like, can't even lift it off the ground. And I I asked her, do you do one-to-one? So she started training me at home. My body was changing. My confidence in, t- like, in some way was changing. I then went on and found a degree at University of East London in Stratford, which That's is perfect. That's what
0: I went to as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Cyprus campus
1: oh okay yeah. yeah so this course came up with um it was complementary therapy but specializing in uh pilates and therapeutic massage which is just hand in hand for me i went and did the course i know we haven't even we haven't even talked about this aspect of my life which is still big is yeah. middle of doing my degree and i got diagnosed with end-stage renal failure so what, what finally is it's basically um kidney disease oh, okay so, I didn't even know I had a kidney disease until that moment. And uh, within four months of being diagnosed, in the midst of doing my degree, I was on dialysis. And again, life has just kind of thrown a different curveball. So, I've had to adapt again to a new way of life, um, have my textbooks and everything on my bed, my laptop, connect myself to machine at night because I used to dialyze at home for eight hours and I did my degree that way so like so many curveballs have been thrown my way but each time they have I've had to find a new normal Mm. a bit like lockdown we've had to find a new normal Yeah,
0: number of skype instead of being face to face yeah Yeah,
1: and Mm. kind of some things won't go back to the way it was but that's also okay because sometimes change needs to come about like We're now prioritising who we're going to meet and not meet, where we would have wasted a bit more time with unnecessary people. Mm. That just was not bringing any growth to us. They were just draining us, would feel rubbish after meeting them. Why do we need to do that? Why? Like, now we'll fine-tune who we hang out with. We'll fine-tune the quality of what we spend time with, with our loved ones. So, like those situations with me, I've always had to be quite adaptable. Finding my new norm. So that's how Pilates came. But then I started teaching after I um, graduated, and then I got then I got my transplant. So year two thousand and nine. So twelve years now I've had my transplant, and it's a whole different way of life.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm now surviving from a health perspective, not because of my scars. So my scars never limited anything it was just my mindset that limited me but now on the physical I have some limitations not a lot because I'm not going to put emphasis on limitations but life just just throws things and it's it's okay that's just yeah. how it is but I recognize I had to go through that to be able to talk to someone like you today right
0: yeah was P- was the kidney failure as a, as a result of the um the accident, or was that no. something completely separate today?
1: S- completely separate, yeah.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and I I'm I'm what, what would you say was the hardest recovery? Was it was it the, the kidney failure or the um, the, the scars? Uh,
1: the, the kidney aspect, because yeah. when I had my transplant, when I got the actual transplant, shockingly, it was incredible. The mm. kidney took to me straight away, as if it was my own. I was so well, I managed to spring out of bed, even though I was connected to like drains and stitches and you name it. And I was home within three days because I said to my consultant, I want to be home. He's like, no chance. Minimum stay is a week. I said, I'm going to be home in three days. And he's like, nah, lo and behold, I was home in three days. So internal determination. But then came all the issues, anything and everything that could go wrong did happen so you know when you get that medicine label where it says you know the side effects one in 10,000 and one in 20,000 I was that one in 100,000 oh wow so to the point my consultants didn't even know what to do because Mm. after my transplant I was I was great and going to regular clinics soon I wasn't um passing urine as I should have done Mm. It was building up in my body, so I was four times the size of who I was. I was so sensitive. And then they recognized that the kidney had a cyst. It was leaking, the the transplanted kidney. I then had to have a 12-hour surgery where they had to reimplant the old urethra to the new, Hmm. reposition the bladder, take the kidney out, cleanse it, repair the cyst, put it back in, so the transplant was only three hours. Yeah. But the second operation was 12 hours. And from there, I lost mobility on my right leg. So I couldn't feel my right leg. I couldn't even feel it. So I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, after all this, I'm not going to be able to walk. And the first thought came to me was, because I lived with my grandparents after my accident. They took care of me. I still I still live with my granddad now. But my first thought was, I don't want them to look after me. I don't want them to push me in a wheelchair. I don't want them to bathe me and do it. I just didn't want them to look after me anymore. So I needed to walk out of that ward. And I said to my consultant, I know you can't guarantee if this is going to work or not, but I'm not walking out of here with any aid. I'm going to walk out of here with my own legs. I don't care how long it takes. So I was in hospital three or four weeks and... Literally every hour I was doing physio, they assigned a physio to me. I was doing it at night. Yeah. By Determined. the second week. So I just because mm. my first thought was I didn't want my family to take care of me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that's all that was going through my head, and yeah, so that obviously inner will and determination fighting the pain, I had to walk out of there. Um,
0: and you did, you yeah, ended up walking out of there on your own yeah it and sounds like out. your your the strength of your mind is is out of this world and it's incredible because it seems like every stage wherever there's a hurdle you're you're extremely determined to do it for yourself um do, yeah do you think like having such an um, incredible incident happen to you at such a young age like strengthened you for everything else that you came um came across as an adult i think so
1: like if you look back it just makes sense but um oh. I think, like I said, I think I've always got this thing about it's going to be okay. Yeah. I'd have to tell myself it's going to be Now, I don't know what okay is. It's not what I think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Because remember, the universe always throws us curveballs. We have this plan. and Something happens and we're off plan. Yeah. So we suddenly think we're a really horrible person and why isn't it going this way? And I wanted this, but I've got this. But we don't realize that that's what we were meant to have, to teach mm-hmm. us or grow us or whatever. So I always thought I'm gonna be okay um at a young age we have a preconceived idea what okay is it's going to be this picket fence and yeah. lovely you know 2.4 children type attitude but <laughs> yeah. you know but that's not life as we know and it's being okay to know that that's not where our path is I mean I'm 41 I'm not in any committed relationship I don't have children mm. in any kind of context that's like whoa what are you gonna do mm. with your life? You're way past everything now, right? Yeah. To me, that's irrelevant. That's not my life. I don't look at someone who has the picket fence life and go, "That's what I want," because yeah. that doesn't fit with me.
0: Yeah. You know, Yeah, and and it's not like succumbing to the pressures of like other people's expectations as well. That's,
1: absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's one of the things I realized growing up because when I was young, I was always like, "Oh." by 25 I remember me and my boy we were always talking like we're like oh by 25 we're gonna have our kids and you know we're gonna be driving a Ferrari and we're gonna meet up <laughs> on the weekend in our mansions or next weekend we're in your <laughs> mansion and now we're in our 30s and we're like oh what happened to those <laughs> pipies and it's like sometimes we have like societal pressures and then we have our own like weird fantasies and illusions of what like life is supposed to be and we place importance on those things when eventually you realize that no, like those things don't even make you happy those things don't necessarily even you know drive us as human beings like you know just Completely. you know being healthy being good and you know having loving loving family and friends around you seems to be way more important than all those like pipe dreams that we we had to an extent yeah so.
1: I'd always say like have them have like yeah. i'm not obviously material driven now whereas I was mm. before but it's okay to have that ferrari in the house or whatever mm. as long as you're internally happy mm. not because you're chasing that more because it's expected of you mm. chase the more like being more better being more this more internally yeah. so when you do have your ferrari the mansions or whatever You get to enjoy it, not because you want to show it to the world and Mm. pose outside it, because it just brings inner fulfillment because you know you've worked for that. Not because having the Ferrari and, you know, hanging out with your mates, taking 1,500 pictures and going, yeah, Yeah. and then you don't even have 10 pence for food. Mm. That's not happiness. That's just silly, right? So, again, we're chasing some pipe dreams that it's not even fun. Like, yeah. I understand if it's fun, but it's not. Um, I've been there. Look, I've been there. I've been a spendaholic. I, I spent money like it was water mm. to make others happy and giving gifts, consistently gifting all the time. Mm. 500 pounds top. Oh, here you go. I thought of you. And this person's like, okay, I don't need another one, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it was to get validation. That's why I was doing it. Now, my niece's and nephew nephews be lucky if they get a birthday or a Christmas <laughs> present. Not because of the money, it's just, I'll buy something on a random day and go, I thought of you, here you go. Yeah. You know, and it's, a, it's such a different place because that, that happiness is very short-lived.
0: Mm, yeah, Valida- um, validation is... Um- I think it's it's, be, it's very it's, it's becoming like a keyword now because especially because of social media. I mean, social media has kind of put everyone on a platform. It's put everyone in a shopping window. So what yeah. we're doing is like continuously just seeking validation, like we're continuously seeking for strangers' approval and validation for our own being and it's really yeah. strange and weird environment we're in and as much as we try and avoid it, it it's kind of becoming like an in- inevitable monster that's like you know <laughs> chewing everybody up and uh, how's your experience like on on social media when like you know you, you came because you're very confident on your social media it seems like you're very out there and um how, how are people like been treating you in regards to like when they see your scars and they hear your story and stuff
1: Oh, to be fair, I'm very lucky. I've just had positive um, mm. uh, feedback. But the thing with me, my thing is I always say is if you don't like something, we're so fortunate you can press block and delete. Yeah. yeah. And I'm all for that. So I have yeah. some random comment come up on something. It's like, bye, who are you? Yeah. And that comment's deleted. That's it. Yeah. I so
0: don't, don't choose to leave it. Weird strangers trying to, you know, drag you out.
1: No, I've got no time for that because they're just projecting their own stuff onto me. Yeah. Whereas years ago, I would have taken that personally. Yeah. And this is the thing about projection is be careful what someone's putting onto you. The first question is, is this about me? And when you realise it's not about you, you just eject it, right? It's yeah. done. It's it's deleted. And that's how I do it. And another thing is, like, like we talk about body confidence, for example. You know, it, like I... Didn't wear a bikini for a long time because more of my body shape rather than my scars, for example. So I wouldn't wear one. So my thing is, well, wear one, just don't take pictures. So then you don't have no issue of like, oh my God, I look so fat in this. Oh my God, I look this. You have nothing to look at. Enjoy that moment, wear it, get over it. That's it.
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the major part because what tends to happen is people take pictures or they record themselves doing whatever post it online and then all of a sudden like you're inundated with fear because you're, you're waiting on other people's reaction. So, cause I've got, I've got female friends who are like influencers and whatever. And I used to always hear that women take a thousand pictures and then choose one to post. I didn't know how rude that was until I started speaking to them. They're like, yeah, literally, before we post up that one picture, there's like a hundred variations of that picture. And then once that picture is posted, they're in their room shaking, waiting for the response in order for them to feel okay about what they've just posted. So depending on the response that they're getting, the validation, that's going to determine how they feel as an individual. And I was like, that's mad. So you won't be okay if the world is not okay with who you are that's not okay in itself. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. I've been
1: there. I've been there not long ago and it stopped me posting many pictures like that. Mm. Um, But now I, like, look, as I said earlier, I'm sat here with no makeup. Mm. You know, that wouldn't have been something I would have done before. I would have Mm. probably been up from six this morning doing myself up and then still Mm. not feeling good but looking semi-presentable. Whereas it's not important anymore. And even now when I have certain photo shoots, like again with photographers, everyone's got their own style and whatever. But if I don't like something, I'm not scared to say I don't want that picture anymore because there are some angles that are just not flattering and I do not want that out there. But that's not because the scars or anything like that. It's just the angle of that picture. But sometimes like if you look at a picture from 10 years ago, and that 10 years ago, you were insecure at that time. But yet now you look at it and go, oh, that's such a beautiful picture. But yet at that time, we were so hating on ourselves or mm. the angle weren't right, the colour wasn't right, the, the, the plant looked awful or whatever. Mm. We never got to enjoy the moment. Yeah. So I'm like one picture. Yes, I do have that 5,000 picture and then you choose the one. Yeah. But that's amongst my family. That's not for my social media. My Instagram, I've got all random pictures. I don't have this fancy-looking Instagram where everything's in little mm, categories Photoshop and fancy. And yeah. I, I don't know how to do it, and I ain't got time to be fair. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is it like, do I eat, or do I spend five hours editing a picture? I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's something that I, I, I actually purposely do that. So what I do is I, like, I purposely go out of my way to not make sure that my pictures are like professionally done or mm. like you know, I haven't had a trim now for ages. As you can see, my beard and my hair is all over the place. And because to me that that's me putting out. And it, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to almost like um, prepare the world. To, I'm trying to almost control the world's expectations of what to expect from. You know what I mean? Or what to expect from me? Or. Or my podcast, or me as an individual. So don't come to my page expecting to see glamorized pictures of me posing mm-hmm. and it's all I like Photoshop. Yeah, maybe one day I might do a photo shoot. Someone might invite me to do one. I mean, sure. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not myself going to set one up, but <laughs> if someone wants yeah. to invite me to do one, I'll do it. But nonetheless, I may, I, if you check most of my pictures or most of my imagery, it's never really polished. And it's, it's something that I consciously do. Because yeah. I realized the pressure behind once you start something, you have to carry it through, and that's too much energy and it's too much oh, time. Oh, big time. You know what I mean? I got I've got a lot going on. I've got great family. I've got great friends. I've got great projects I'm working on. Like to edit pictures and to put out an image which is potentially false of myself online. It's 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 too hefty of a task. It is. And once I once I control that expectation, like nobody really wants. Nobody really is coming on there to see something that I can't be bothered to work mm. on and to put out. So. It makes my life easier that way. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and I think that's that's the best way to go about it. But um what you got planned next? Like in terms of like works coming up and projects, is there anything of interest that you would like to, to be
1: honest with you now? Um like I said to you, I celebrated my thirty one year anniversary on Sunday mm-hmm. and um I'm I feel I feel very complete. I feel very like it sounds really strange now, like when I stay at this way. so I hope people don't find this disturbing, but if I was to go now, I'm going on a high. And that's not to say I don't have other goals and ambition, far from it, but it's more when they come along, they'll present themselves. I'll, I'll be happy in that. But right now, I've got nothing in the pipeline that, you know, um that I'm going to talk about or there's something coming up. But that, again, is more open i'm very open like i might say that and then by two o'clock today i might get a phone call and that's yeah. fine i'd rather have that mind space but i do meditation so i deliver meditations online at the moment Amazing. um i and in my meditation is how i help people transform so planting the seeds this way because obviously in person i'm not able to do my talks because by profession i'm a motivational speaker
0: yeah.
1: um I did a talk actually my first talk online last two weeks ago okay. it was so surreal because I'm used to stage I'm used to performing yeah. and here I am stagnant on a chair in my room talking to a blank computer it's so bizarre <laughs> but um but my thing is as I said you know I'm to- about planting seeds however I can do it that's what I do so I do meditation more so help people come back to themselves no hard and fast rules when i do my meditation i'm not very much sit in this position and don't breathe you know i'm very lie down sit down hang upside down whatever's comfortable for Mm. you just so you can disconnect from everything and come come back and connect with yourself yourself, um so that's what i do um like i said i do that online and every month i just do it once a month i have a different theme so this year where February is about love, um, this is this this month's theme is about self-love and how do we give self-love? It's a word again thrown aloud, thrown out, like a lot of words are. You know, words are just thrown out like confetti. But self-love, we all should have been taught that from day dot. It's something that should have just happened the moment we took our first breath that's what we knew we knew love from the moment we took our first breath everything else was put upon us expectation guilt fear you know that's all added but our first thing was love we we, the first breath is love Mm. and so it's like how do we come back to that how do we give ourselves that love be able to give others why do we feel we're less deserving than someone else so yes every month i have a different theme um yeah, so well, that's I'll what's going on.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. And um there's this so when you say you celebrate your 31st anniversary, I know you touched on that um before mm-hmm. as well earlier. What does that entail?
1: It just basically now, so again, consciously I decided I'm not gonna post about this oh. date every year now. Because up until from my accident till now, I've acknowledged the date. Like I said, either it was from sadness or other people's expectation of how we should avoid the day or don't talk about it. But in the last 10 years, I've taken control back of how I want to celebrate, how how I want to see the day. I don't want to see a day of like, oh, my God, I lost my family. Poor me. I've never been a pity party person. But I do things like, okay, on the superficial level, we have St. Valentine's Day. So where we have that fake day of one day of going all out, getting your hearts and flowers and whatever. But I, I kept with the theme, love. So I spent the day going out for lunch or dinner with a friend or family or whatever and celebrating that. But this year, all the internal healing that I had to do for my inner child who went through the accident, did things on her own, fought against the prejudices the bullying um, the low self-esteem it's all come back full circle I look at the day I walked out of that wreckage well not literally walked out but come out of that wreckage to be where I am today the work I've put in internal healing layers and layers and layers of trauma I took control of the day now whereby next year i don't need to post about it because now that date it's not a negative date it's not a date i need to look back and go oh god i lost my family poor me oh, i don't have nobody no it's a date to remember that that's when i was born again that's when actually my journey actually started um because where i talked about earlier about you know i'm doing here, i'm here to do god's work i am because I had to go through that to awaken this spiritual energy to be able to help somebody and not be the pity party. Because I have a choice. I could either be a victim or a survivor. And I choose not to be a victim. You know, I choose not to. And that's just because of the words I use and my mindset, right? I'm not saying I wasn't a victim, because at the point of Incidental point of impact, I am, but then I have a choice of what I do with it after. Um, so that's what this signified for the celebration. So I got a cake this year. Oh, nice. And my niece, so again, quite bizarre that she's never seen me any different. Of course, she doesn't know any different. She's seven now, so this is what she knows. But there have been times I've asked her in a roundabout way. you see me as different and she just looks at me as like well i don't like what you wear but no i don't see you as different you know and so we laugh about it because i always anticipate that moment she might ask me she's never asked me so on saturday my sister had to actually tell her what happened not because she had to tell her but because why are we going to her house to have cake she's like is it so her birthday yeah. yeah so she's like is it her birthday but it's not july yet so it's not her mm-hmm. birthday so why are we having cake and of course obviously the whole social distancing and everything so but she, so that's why my sister told us so it's like she was involved in an accident she lost her family and that's how she got her burns and she looked at my sister like what's burns so she still doesn't know
0: yeah,
1: that this is different. So for her, it's not, this is just me. And then my my brother, my cousin brother, he did this sort of tribute reel video thing. He posted a few years ago, uh, we showed her on Sunday. So there's a picture of me as a little girl with my dad. She's like, oh, you're so cute. And she looks at me, she goes, you're cute now, but sometimes you're annoying. So she still hasn't picked up the fact that that little girl hasn't got scars Mm. and this person has. So she still hasn't made that differentiation. So for her, she just sees a soul. And that's when I realized that she's just not polluted. Mm. She's not polluted with anything. She's just driven by what she feels rather than what she sees. And... Uh, that's i think that was a celebration encompassed as a whole and i think i'm just done you know i'm done talking about that date i'm done writing about that date everything i needed to write offload share i've done it have done it
0: yeah that, that's amazing to see and um your story is extremely, like, I mean, your strength in itself is extremely commendable. And I feel motivated by your strength and your your willpower and your ability to overcome. It's it's been truly inspirational to myself. And um, I'm I'm, I'm happy for you that you're able to now, like, you know... put that aside in terms of like you know the date and the date like weighing of um, significance mm. upon yourself and now you're in control of the day and you're in control of how you how you celebrate and acknowledge that day because that's what it's all about because at the end of the day you know there's some dates that come around and then people always it, it drags you down whether it's a significant date that you lost a family yep. member or a loved one and whenever it comes around again it weighs heavily upon your soul because yeah I mean I've lost family members that are ex- of extreme significance to me and when those dates come around it's like all the emotions come rushing, and I'm yet to, I'm yet to, kind of like let that go in that sense because yeah. when as the day gets closer, my emotion starts like reminding me of something of significance that's coming up and um, as human beings it's extremely hard for us to let that go and sometimes you know we don't know if we should let it go because then we feel guilty if we do let it go yeah and uh, but at the same time we also need to learn how to like continue living and continue living in the right path and with the strength that's required for us to survive in the current world that we're put in so i, I commend you for for all of that and um, i truly yeah. appreciate you sharing your story with me because oh, not just my you. listeners because i feel inspired by it and uh, you know Amazing. i truly i thoroughly appreciate it and uh, really want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story
1: thank you yeah i mean just quick reflection on what you said but that's exactly it the date Mm. so anticipate the date but that's not to say on the 19th of march i'm not gonna cry
0: yeah because that
1: date might feel more of a loss even though something hasn't happened on that date than maybe the 14th of february like sometimes our birthday on the actual date Might not feel like that because it depends how we woke up. We might just wake up feeling sad just because we do, or we might wake up feeling really excited. But in that birthday date, that day just goes with how you feel, not because it's the date. You know, I might feel my birthday is on the 6th of December for all I know, because I just wake up feeling excited. So I celebrate whatever I need to celebrate on the day I feel good. So that's why I got the cake for the 14th, because I felt good. I feel good. I feel amazing in myself. I wake up grateful, positive. So I got a cake. Now, it sounds really bizarre when you think of an anniversary date of a, lot of a lost one and getting a cake and some sort of celebration. But I'm here to be a game changer. I'm not here to just take what's the norm and expectation, because it doesn't work with me. It, and it doesn't work with a lot of people. We're caught up, like you said, the guilt, the expectation, and we have to when we must. And then I'm a really rubbish person if I don't acknowledge the day and then I'm not upset. Does it mean I'm over them? Does it mean I they don't mean anything to me? No. It's just in that given moment, we're not feeling those things. And it's all right. It literally is all right. It doesn't mean you've forgotten about them. It doesn't mean they're less significant. No they'll always be there they're a big part of us but on a soul journey we've got other things to still do
0: yes definitely yeah and And I think people need to hear that because what tends to happen is that when we don't let go or not even necessarily let go but when we don't like you know acknowledge that part and um, allow it to live out its path we, we, we drown in it and you know it has a it has a serious effect on ourselves personally as well and the thing is like fair enough, that damage has been done to you, but nonetheless you don't want that damage to be a continuous um, yeah. doing and chipping away at you as a as a person and as an individual and having a mental effect on you and you having breakdowns because then you haven't achieved nothing you haven't yeah. you haven't succeeded in the healing process so yeah I acknowledge
1: it absolutely yeah. absolutely acknowledge the day acknowledge the people you've lost i do hmm. i acknowledge the fact I lost my family and obviously have got a new sense of life a new sense of identity but I don't need to revel in that.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't need to feel morbid for the sake of feeling that, like, or upset. If I don't feel upset, how can I fake that?
0: Yeah.
1: And it's all right. It's all right. And like I said, on 19th of March, on a random date, I might cry because I just miss them, but acknowledge that rather than suppress it. Go, oh God, why are you missing them now after 31 years? Mm. Grief. There's no time. Grief Mm. is a personal journey. As is everything in our life, it's a personal journey. And that's what we need to acknowledge, you know.